Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Not long ago, I stood at the edge of a pier and watched dozens of sea lions lounge on a cool, sunny day. I sent out a picture and a video in one of my messages. The San Francisco sun had finally broken through the fog, and the animals were vying for both warmth and strategic position. They entertained us with their unique personalities, and soon enough, it became clear that there were certain individuals who no one wanted on the pier, and they had a hard time finding their place. So in an amazing feat of hauling several hundred pounds of sea lion flesh out of the water and onto the dock, they tried to slide into an open spot beside a sleeping member of their pod, only to be greeted by loud barks and violent chest bumping and neck biting and fin slapping until one or the other fell off the deck and back into the water. A few times we witnessed one of them getting so frustrated that he, and we found out they were mostly male, that he just hauled up on the most crowded of the dozen docks and climbed over everyone else to reach the other side. And while this was an effective and efficient path to reach his goal, it seemed like it might be a little crushing for the animals underneath. Yet for me, it brought home a point. A few days before, I had listened to the excellent online discussion with author Austin Channing Brown, hosted by Fairmount and a few other neighborhood churches. And while answering a question about what white Christians can do to become more aware of the experiences of people of color in this country, she emphatically told us, as a black woman, I am not the work. She said, you don't need to walk across other people like stepping stones to get information and knowledge. She said, sometimes we ask people of color to tell us their stories over and over, and it feels like we are asking them to cut themselves open and bleed in front of us for the sake of our own enlightenment. She pointed to the abundance of accessible books and podcasts and movies produced by black voices in the public realm, and that we can read and watch and listen as we stay curious about the experience of people of color in America, or the experience of LGBTQ individuals, or immigrants, or any other marginalized voices who gift us with their beautiful and messy stories and help us to open our eyes and to really see choosing to tell one's story is a gift to be received with humility and grace. It's an invitation to come and see. And we don't need to slide over others hauling all our baggage to reach enlightenment like a sea lion on the 39th pier. But we do need to remain open and to check our assumptions and our implicit bias and to listen in the ways that Jesus calls us to do. 
So in the spirit of that listening, today's text helps us to reflect on the summer theme of I've been meaning to ask. Last week and this centers on the question, where are you from? And as a pastor, I'm privileged to hear some of your questions and your stories. I hope throughout the summer, as we resume meeting in person and online, that we can ask one another our origin stories, including the lands, the peoples, the watersheds, and the experiences which have formed and shaped us. And I hope we can ask these questions with respect and humility, believing everyone is beloved shaped from the dust of the earth and the breath of God, and that everyone has a story to tell, and that our stories, all of them, are messy and beautiful and painful and hopeful and being written and rewritten over time. So today's biblical story begins with a question. What are you looking for? And we know Jesus asked a lot of questions. Those who study such things count 307 questions Jesus asked in the Gospels. 183 he was asked by someone else. And maybe you know this already, but can you guess how many he answered? Three. He answered three questions. Because when he was asked a question... He usually asked another one back, or he invited someone to come and see. Throughout the beginning chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus just keeps saying, come and see, come and see, and they do. The questions are answered in the seeing. I like that Jesus wasn't actually what they were looking for. He's from Nazareth, for one thing. But Jesus tells Nathaniel that he saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. And maybe this strikes Nathaniel as a reference to the fig tree in Zechariah 3, or maybe, maybe it's just so true that it freaks Nathaniel out. He really was there standing under a fig tree. I might consider somebody differently if they came up to me and said, I saw you buying organic mangoes at Zagara's, or I saw you in the airport doing a little dance, which I've been known to do from time to time when my flight's on time. Upon reflection, Nathaniel considers this possibility of Jesus as the Messiah, the one he's been waiting for, but not how he expected him. And in just these few verses, it is so abundantly clear there is no one pattern for following Jesus, and all of you know that. You've all found Jesus in different ways, or you've been found by Jesus. Peter and Andrew find Jesus. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel. And that fits with all the origin stories of faith I hear. Each one of you is unique. Sometimes people are looking for God. Sometimes it feels like God finds them. And sometimes they're just standing under a fig tree, minding their own business, and one of God's friends happens by and starts telling stories. All because Jesus turns and sees them. And they go and see. And they spend the rest of the day, which symbolizes their life, with him. And that little zen-like detail of it being about 4 o'clock in the afternoon adds this specificity and also symbolizes what for the early Christians was a regular hour of prayer. Discipleship, community, and prayer, those essential elements 
of the Christian faith, the things that we have been missing when we haven't been together in the same way that we're used to. And not surprisingly, that patchwork of faith origin stories leads to patchworks of claims about Jesus' identity. In this text alone, he is called by so many different names, Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, the King of Israel, and the most ordinary, Jesus. Joseph's son from Nazareth. Each one in the story has a place and people from which they came and their origin stories are important. Andrew and Peter from Bethesda, Nathaniel from Cana, Jesus from Nazareth. Where are you from? What is your story? Where's home? Who are your people? What assumptions do you need to disrupt? And where is God calling you? Come and see. Recently, I watched a clip from one of Henry Louis Gates' episodes on Finding Your Roots. It's from last year. Queen Latifah was the guest, and they had uncovered her ancestors' emancipation documentation from 1792. Showed it to her on the show. And she was overcome with emotion as she read it out loud. She said, people still think that one person can't make a difference. One person made a difference to my whole entire family line. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. And maybe he speaks out of his assumptions, unaware of his own implicit bias. We know from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew that Jesus was born to poor, unwed parents who had been forced to travel very late in the pregnancy to a town not their own where they either had no family their family was too poor to put them up. And now, on top of that, the Gospel of John tells us people would be really surprised if anything good came from Jesus' hometown. It comes from the least of these. Not from the centers of political, religious, or economic power, but from the poor and from those who are not expected to bring forward what is good. Where are the places today we might wonder, can anything good come from there? The question, where do you come from, can be loaded. Not everyone can answer with the names of mountains and lakes and waterfalls and streams. Sometimes the landscape is cities they could never leave, dilapidated homes that never got fixed, tainted water supplies and toxic dumps and shots fired outside windows. Teams from my husband's church used to visit, pre-pandemic, their partner church in Nicaragua. And they would accompany the Nicaraguan Christians to minister in the garbage dumps outside Managua, where people lived, where they were born and grew up and scavenged and built shelters out of trash and died. Can anything good come from there? And there's this to consider about Nathaniel. One commentator, Agnelsa Velasco, she points out that waiting has taught him and his people a lesson with which so many oppressed groups are intimately familiar. Black Americans, she says, have been waiting since 1865 for their promised 40 acres and a mule, now valued collectively at 12 trillion owed to the descendants of enslaved Americans. 
Native Americans are still waiting for treaties signed during the founding years of the nations of the United States and Canada to be honored with land and money and goods. And similarly, she says, Nathaniel is an Israelite, a people who had been waiting for 600 years for the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, the release from the oppressive rule of foreign colonizers and a restored relationship with their creator. At the moment we meet him in this passage, his people are being subjugated by the Romans with no end to oppression in sight. He's learned the lesson indigenous people, enslaved descendants, and so many others have learned time and time again that hope is vital, but it is also exhausting. Nathaniel found it within himself to follow Philip and go and meet another potential savior. When people of color, she says, queer people, those with disabilities, Women and so many others left waiting ask, can anything good come from the church? We have to recognize the strength it takes to ask in the first place, despite the generations of letdown. When we ask, where are you from? Are we prepared to accept the answers in all of our messy, beautiful complexity Are we ready to lay down our assumptions and our preconceived notions and be open to really seeing the person in front of us without implicit bias or fear? Are we willing to see Jesus? And can we invite others like Philip did to come and see? Because those of us who follow the one from Nazareth, we have a lot to learn from Philip. He reminds us our calling is to bear witness with grace to the light that shines on our lives through the Son of God. And that ability for others to see the light doesn't rest on your powers of theological persuasion or on mine, on our skills of rhetoric or technology or sheer persistence. Rather, that ability to see Jesus comes as a gift, a pure gift from God through the graceful and mysterious movements of the Holy Spirit. We can take others by the hand, share our excitement, and invite them to get a glimpse of what we've seen, but we can't make them see. When the Spirit of God is at work, we notice, we notice acts of generosity and faithfulness and joy multiplying. Have you seen it? I think it was about this time last year when a few Fairmount members began thinking of fixing up the church apartment to expand our ability to serve those in need. Jonas, our resident and refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, moved in at the beginning of February. Another member heard the story of Jonas and other refugees and gave both of her stimulus checks for their needs. Then our investment trustees began talking about the interest from our church endowment and suggested we give big gifts to those who are suffering. And we did so to local children and families in the school system, to the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, to the Northeast Coalition for the Homeless, to Amy's Helping Immigrants, to Breaking New Ground of Lutheran Metropolitan Ministry, $120,000 in total so far, with a promise to, to raise more for Breaking New Ground an initiative that addresses the housing crisis right here. Now, I can't trace you a direct causal line from one act of generosity to the next and the next and the next. 
But I do recognize the Spirit at work here through you, through your dreams and ideas, through your gifts, through your persistence and your patience and your joy, through the Spirit you bring when you come into this place and the Spirit you take with you when you go out into the world. Last week, that stimulus check donor shared something important with me. She told me that when I first announced that gift months ago, it was an answer to prayer for her. Because unbeknownst to me, she had been praying that God's light would somehow shine through her. Who can tell what miracles are unleashed when we pray? We make sure our lives are pointed toward the light and then live in that daring trust that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And I'll leave you with this last thing from Father Richard Rohr. Prayer is sitting in the silence until it silences us. Choosing gratitude until we are grateful and praising God until we ourselves are an act of praise. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.